Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast with your hosts, Chip Patterson, Tom Fernelli, Danny Cannell, and Bud Elliott. It's your call for the best college football coverage from National Signing Day to the National Championship and everything in between. CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast. And welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast here on CBS Sports. That's Tom Fernelli, that's Bud Elliott, that's Danny Cannell, I'm Chip Patterson, coming to you live at youtube.com slash cover3, and everywhere you get your podcasts on demand, thanks for hanging out, smash that subscribe, smash the like, come and join us in the chat, aka the Cover 3 tailgate. Ah, man, I've seen way too much wagon talk. We need to maybe pull back on the wagon talk. Too big, listen, and this this was actually from the chat right now, so we'll just go ahead and open it up. Uh, Tuesday night, Jacksonville State improves to 6-2 and two with a 20-17 to 17 win against Western Kentucky. Western Kentucky falls to 4-3. and three. Other results from Tuesday night, Liberty 40, 42-35 over middle, and then a little bit of a scare from the Tuesday night King Blue Raiders. And the game that I was able to dismiss faster than anything, <laughs> South Alabama was up 31-0 at halftime and did not stop. 55-3 to three is your final. Um, any... Thoughts or takeaways from Tuesday night? Penny stock is up. <laughs> it was a little dicey. There was a little dip in the first half, but Caden Salter got after it. Second half, finished strong. What do you go for rushing? 160. Yeah, buck 60 on the ground. Dude's carrying him. He's a wagon. We need to, talk, we need to slow down on the wagons. <laughs> we need to slow down on the wagon talk. But Caden Salter is a soaring penny stock. Yes, Great call, yeah. Danny. 0.000003.5 to 0.000 point. Wait, 0.000. But if you look at it on the graph, the jump, the, the line is jumping. Just don't look yes. like what the yes, yeah. uh, what the X and Y axis say. Uh, I like a zillion shares. <laughs> my biggest takeaway so far from midweek QSA action is that. I saw a lot of excitement about like next week's game between Liberty and Western Kentucky building up. Western Kentucky stinks. Like I, I think people yeah. are still think it's the same team that was putting up like a billion points per game the last few years. Like this year's Western Kentucky offense is not very good. So yeah, I, I think Liberty's probably going to win that game by two or three scores. They drop so many passes. Yes. Just constantly. Like, like go back to the second half of the Louisiana Tech game. They, they just they were falling down. They dropped balls. It, it's it's not crisp, and it's probably a cautionary tale that if you're not a well-resourced program, we, we can't just assume that you're going to just be a wagon for years on end, right? It, it, they, they lose guys to the portal. They lost their offensive coordinator to Washington State, and I, I don't want to say they've downgraded in coaching because I don't necessarily know how to tease that out from what they have talent-wise because they're clearly not as good up front as they were last year. You know, And defensively, it's really interesting. They play like an old school Jolie Dunn style. We're going to blitz everybody, every play type thing. Mm-hmm. Almost not. I know it's not every play, but uh, eventually that gets exploited a little bit. And and finally, Jack State you know, did hit him with some of that stuff. Uh, 
kind of down the stretch. I, Jack State looked like the better team in the first half. They just couldn't catch interceptions, and they they, they dropped some touchdown passes of their own. Three offensive coordinators in three years for the toppers. Do I have that right? Mm-hmm. Going Hard back, to be consistent that's that tough. way. Yeah, yeah. That, that's what I was thinking. That's that, that's really tough right there. Um, Wednesday night, uh, South was like, oh, oh, go ahead. What? Uh, Southern Miss is is on quit watch for me. Oh, okay. I mean, they just got a lot of guys jogging, got a lot of guys getting hurt. Uh, not not a lot of want to there. I I, I think they maybe did like done done. Good notes to jump on the other side of the Golden Eagles. I'm sorry to uh, Matt Hinton. I know you're hurting. Uh, Wednesday night, Cayusa has on FIU against Sam Houston. Someone's going to win a daggum conference game. The Panthers are 0-4 conference play. Uh, Sam Houston 0-6 overall. And Sam Houston's favored by five. Uh, elsewhere, uh, you can catch New Mexico State and UTEP in the later game. That'll be on ESPN2. New Mexico State three-point road favorites at the Miners. Anybody got a lock or a lean on uh, on Wednesday night's Midweek Madness? It's my Twitter tip, and I actually like it. The over in FIU, Sam Houston. It's at 41, 41 and a half, or 42, depending on where you're looking. I'm fine with it at all three spots. Sam Houston's offense has been much better in conference play, and Florida International loves giving up big plays. So I I think it's going to be a higher-scoring game than it has been. I may join you on that, but I I need to see Jenkins, the quarterback for FIU, warm up because he got rocked at the end of last game. I I watched the whole thing, and I they're trying to redshirt the starter who initially started the, the year against. Was it La Tech? Tech? Yep. Yeah. So he's trying to redshirt. So if the if Jenkins, who was originally the two, it probably should have been the one. If he can't go, they're really going to a guy who was rightfully the three. Which hey, for UTEP last week, they went to the number four and they housed FIU. Right? It didn't matter on on <laughs> Miami Vice Night or whatever they called that thing. So who knows? This Cusa stuff is is incredible. Like like it's some of the most entertaining. And also lowest quality football out there. Like it, it really is. It's a good product to have on TV because you just never know what's going to happen. Six fumbles for FIU last week against Utah. Neon <laughs> Jenkins is your whoopsie daisy leader nationally. Only three lost, so you know at least that worked out for you. But uh, six fumbles for FIU. I was uh, pretty stunned going back to to dig through the what happened in the in the carnage there. Okay, quick headlines. Uh, then we'll be getting quickly to our big game breakdowns. The first, uh, Iowa tight end Eric All is out for the season. He accounts for nearly all of the explosive passes that Iowa has. And at the um, at the risk of beating a, at the risk of beating a dead Hawkeye, um, how <laughs> does Iowa respond to this offensively? They don't. Exactly. They don't don't need to, though. What are they rebounding from? There is no rebound. They're just going to win ugly. Did you see the total? 32 and a half? Mm -hmm. Defense better start scoring more points. That's really all you can say. Should Coop play offense? (laughs) They've talked about it a little, but I I wonder if we're going to see it at some point. This is a big deal to me because Iowa leads the nation in percentage of targets going to tight ends. Mm-hmm. They really, I mean, we documented two weeks ago against Purdue, they did not complete a pass to a wide receiver. This week, they upgraded to two uh, passes completed to wide receivers. Uh, they also, what they're doing in the run game, it might be unsustainable. 
both in terms of how lucky they've been with it, but also because teams are going to increasingly focus on it and just dare them to throw the football. And I was looking at my, my friend Bill Connolly's stats. They are 129th in rushing success rate, mm-hmm. but third in rushing explosiveness. Guys, how that do- generally is going to go like this. Go kind of meet yeah. a little closer. Like you're not 129th in rushing success rate and third in rushing explosiveness. Like one's not sustainable. You're either going to get a lot better at running the ball or you're not going to pop runs for 80 and 70 yards quite as often as, as you have been doing. So uh, that's – the defense is awesome. The special teams are awesome. They play a style that is perfectly suited for that division, especially how that division is constructed this year, and they might go 11-1. and one. But if you play, if you are this bad on offense, every game is losable, including like Northwestern. Like It's just going to take a day where you have three turnovers and the opponent doesn't turn the ball over and you lose. Iowa's offense is a baseball player who is two for 50 with two home runs, or the run game. That's really what it is. It's like you're not a great hitter just because you hit two home runs and you made 48 outs. But, yeah, it's – I mean, it is bad. And I, I've been getting yelled at by Iowa fans since I went off on the team on Monday saying it, you just don't appreciate complimentary football. Complimentary Compliment- football <laughs> complimentary football requires the offense to carry some of its weight to give the team – you know to get first downs, to play the field position game. You can't win the field position battle when you're going three and out on 60% of your possessions in conference play. The only thing that's happening right now is, yes, the defense is good. The special teams is great. Torrey Taylor's a god, blah, blah, blah. You're playing in the weakest West division that has existed since the division was created, and you're coming up on the right end of some really ugly coin flips. It's The offense is really bad. The defense is fine. Special teams are good. You're not a good team. I'm sorry. Mm. I'm just learning to appreciate and accept, right? Like, like this is let's 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 like appreciate and celebrate the absurd. You know, the only reason why we hold Iowa's offense to this kind of like kind of finger wagging is that they do demonstrate an ability to develop players at a high level on one side of the ball. If the defense was just okay, it's like all right, that's probably a program thing. But the fact that they're this bad on offense is it's indicative of a coaching problem because there's no reason why you should be able to to recruit and develop athletes and send multiple guys to the NFL on one side of the ball and just be completely hapless on the other side of the ball constantly. Offensive line's okay. But yeah, no, your point. And by the way, bud, you're coming in sunshine. Tight ends have been good too. Yeah, tight ends have been really good. Yeah, I, I like your positive died. spin on this. Like, <laughs> I, yeah, I'm, I'm all positive vibes, man. You know, like, like hating ass bud doesn't have to come out every show. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm positive vibes. Must have been a really, really good morning with the boys. Love to see it. You know, dude, it was. We, uh, we, um, Went down to the lake yesterday and learned the difference between like fire ants and carpenter ants. You know, <laughs> carpenter ants you can kind of try to pick up a little bit. Uh, fire ants you don't want to mess with so much. So, and then the uh, the fire bat, the twenty month old tries to go down. Color and, swim, and ants, like, you stay away. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, uh, speaking of the weakest Big Ten West, the Wisconsin quarterback Tanner Mordecai dealing with a broken hand. What's the what's the Wisconsin offensive outlook? Luke Fickle kind of got me a little bit disturbed. His, his comments were. You know, um, we should really appreciate the struggles, right? You know, we're always caught up with the destination. I'm paraphrasing. We're always caught up with the destination and how things are going to end. You know, we need to really appreciate the the struggles and the growth. That that sounds to me like somebody that's moving the goalposts on, you know, what this Badger season is going to be right now. Uh, what what do we make of Wisconsin's offense moving forward with uh, with Mordecai dealing with uh, that hand injury? I don't want to say Tanner Mordecai has been the problem, but he hasn't been the solution. 
That's for sure. Mm. You know, like, and, and this probably been one of the more disappointing. You know, I think NC State, like of the offseason conversations we had, it was Robert and I and Brendan Armstrong. They're just going to be automatic success. I was anticipating more with Phil Longo, you know, and Tanner Mordecai connecting. Now, I didn't think it would look like Drake May. I didn't think it would be lighting up the Big Ten, but I just thought offensively they would be better and they have not been. So with Mordecai out, I'm kind of curious to see if there's any drop off at all. Like, I don't know if you you would like. I don't think it's devastating by any means. I'm not that surprised. I mean, I, I was saying during the off season that yeah, I remember you said that the transition going from what they were to what they want to be that is not easy to do in one off season. And I also mentioned Tanner Mordecai's numbers from SMU. Yeah, he was familiar with the offense, but when you saw him play against Power Five competition, he was very ordinary during his career at SMU, and he's been very ordinary for Wisconsin so far this year too. I mean. He's okay. I, I, I don't know how much their passing attack will be affected with Braden Locke in there for Mordecai. It might look pretty much the same. I don't know if Locke is the same kind of threat with his legs that Mordecai is. That will be the interesting thing to watch. But like I wrote about it today in my quarterback power rankings. As a passer, Graham Mertz has been better than Tanner Mordecai in every single way this season. So, like in essence, we all thought Wisconsin was upgrading at the quarterback position this offseason with the, you know, the new offense and the transfers that came in. They might have downgraded a little bit. Mm. Um, one other little bit of news here. The CBS Sports All-America team was released this week. Michael Penix Jr. is was a unanimous pick at the quarterback position. Luther Burden III, unanimous pick at wide receiver. Brock Bowers, unanimous pick at tight end. Then it was kind of all over the place with the rest of the group. Uh, Jonathan Brooks and Audric Estime are your running backs. Malik Neighbors, the other wide receiver. Jackson Powers, Johnson, Joe Alt, Olu Fashanu, Cooper Beebe, and Talise Fagua uh, from Oregon State uh, on the offensive line. Uh, Dallas Turner uh, um, among your linebackers. Anything from the list stand out? Anything that you're happy to see? Or any, uh, of course, Tory Taylor. The aforementioned Tory Taylor is, uh, is our first team punter. Any names that you thought were uh, were missing from the list? Do, do I have two of my players from my Oklahoma drill on the offensive line? Oh. Uh, 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 don't you vote in this? I do, but I'm just saying, okay. two of the players I drafted Waited. this offseason in our Oklahoma drill are on the midseason All-America team. I wonder who won the Oklahoma drill this year. It's curious. Very <laughs> curious. So, um, no Cooper DeGene? No. He's been, he's been pretty good. Um, Anaya Smith from Texas A&M ended up getting the punt returner uh, nod, which he's fair. been fantastic. Yeah. He's been really good at it, yeah. Um, yeah, I'd be curious to see how, how close the voting is on, on some of the – I think you guys did a really good job on this, actually. Like, there's nobody really – it doesn't seem like a lot of guys got votes just based on preseason name value, right? Uh Bowers doesn't have the numbers that some others have, but at the same time, like the impactful games he had were super impactful. So I think it's appropriate to recognize them. And I think you guys did a nice job with this. It's yeah. hard because, like, we the way we do it, you know, like in the offseason when we do our preseason All America, you're allowed to have like you know, second team guys. So that way we have a second team. We only do first team for the midseason. So it's like you have to leave a lot of like really good players off. But yeah. Yeah, I, I was actually impressed. I thought I was going to see more just recognizable names. I feel like our voters this year 
dug a little deeper than maybe some other outlets do. Yeah, don't just go to Ryan Wilson's mock draft and then pick those guys and give them all American honors because all Americans should be for not what you are going to be projected as in the NFL draft, but by what you are producing, about by what you're doing on Saturdays. Shout out to Ryan. He joined me on HQ yesterday to uh, break all this down. You know, they were like, Chip, what are you doing in college? Ryan, what do the NFL teams think? It was a nice little like one-two punch with uh, with me and Ryan. I was, was D-line the hardest? For me, yes. Yeah. Because like JTT has had a boatload of pressures. Chop Robinson for Penn State has mm-hmm. been, I mean, granted, against some terrible offenses, but still has has dominated. Um yeah. I feel like there wasn't. A, there's not a single player on Michigan's defensive line that you couldn't put on there. <laughs> but it's yeah, it was the defensive line was far and away the hardest one for me. Offensive line, I didn't have much trouble with. My wide receivers, I knew off the top of my head. Quarterback was duh. Everything else was just kind of there. But the defensive line, I was looking at for a while. I, I would have thought receiver be tough too because mm. like Burden and neighbors was a one-two. Yeah, you only have two options. Yeah. That's the yeah. thing is, like, if you had to fill well, out but three I mean, or you, four. You got, you got Roma Dunze and Coleman who showed up in big time games, mm-hmm. right? Like Coleman was way better than Neighbors was in Orlando, and Odunze just—I mean, especially with McMillan out against against Oregon, like Odunze showed up huge in that game. I granted, like they've also success, like you know, in successive games have have had really big games too. Um, you know, Missouri, Ole Miss, everybody had a good game against Ole Miss, I guess. But uh, no, I I think they're all good picks. Like this is really no. CBS does a really nice job with this. Like, you, like because our guys watch the sport; they don't watch other media reports. Yeah. And uh, Bud, to your to the, our comment before, I had Jenkins and Grant on my defensive line. I was like, I, I don't know. Let's put Michigan's whole defensive line. Hey, you know what? Stewart doesn't even start all the time. Let's put no. Jesse Stewart in there too. Yeah. Like, free. <laughs> Come on. I think Michigan has the guys that people think Georgia has. Up mm-hmm. front. And they're doing the Georgia thing where it's like they're constantly rotating everybody in so they're fresh all season long. Michigan is the Georgia you are looking for. Coming up on the other side, every single Wednesday, we take the biggest games of the weekend, and we're not going to just give you locks. That's for Thursday. We want to go inside the matchup, the big storylines, the X factors, You know where this game is going to be decided. We will do that for Ohio State, Penn State, Florida State, Duke, Alabama, Tennessee, and more next Saturday. A huge afternoon of college football on CBS kicks off at noon Eastern with undefeated 22nd ranked Air Force taking on Navy. Then at 3.30, the SEC on CBS features a rematch of one of last year's most memorable games when the 17th-ranked Vols go on the road against number 11 Alabama. A college football doubleheader coming up this Saturday on CBS and streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Well, every single Wednesday, we like to break on down that wall. We call it Big Game Breakdown. We begin with what was already identified as one of the biggest games of the entire season. Um, Ohio State, Penn State games in Columbus this year. Danny, where do you want to start? Like, what's what's got your eye um, going? Looking, oh, you're going. Danny Cannell will be there. Give yeah. us coverage on CBS Sports HQ on Friday and Saturday. Come uh, come check it out uh, as as your extra companion. Yeah, what's what 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 do you want? Where do you want to start with this game? So. 
Penn State's defense, Ohio State's offense. To me, that sort of is the intriguing matchup that'll kind of tell you, um, you know, how this game is is won or lost. Because I do think Penn State's offense, they haven't been very explosive. It's been a you know a source of contention with some of the media. And what's interesting is it's not only through the pass game; it's really through the run game too. Like they have just been plotting their way down the field, and it's been working. Um, and I think they'll do more of that. I think they're going to, you know, they're sure they would love some explosive plays, but I don't know if that's who they are and that should be okay. On the other side, I think the surprising thing is that Ohio state's offense has not been as explosive either. And that has been what they've been for the past several years. So can they plod their way down the field against this Penn state defense, which is pretty spectacular. When you look at some of the numbers, um, you know, I think they're the best defense in the country. They're number one in havoc rate, yards per play, success rate. They're and now competition has to be considered, but I still think they've got the edge as far as the defense goes. I think they have the edge in the run game. They might have the edge in the offensive line. I don't. I, it feels like if there ever was a time for James Franklin to get over that hump to get one of these wins on the road versus a top five opponent that this would be the opportunity, but he's doing it with a quarterback who's making his first start in an environment like this. I have watched every game. These two teams have played. Well, I didn't watch much of Penn state against UMass, but other than that, I have watched pretty much every game. These two teams have played. We're in the middle of the season. They're both top 10 teams. And I really don't know who either one of these teams is yet. Like, I watch them every week, and I see them doing what they're doing. It's just like, okay. Like, Penn State defensively has been incredible. Like, every single number you look at, they are great. I think nearly half of their plays on defense have resulted in no gain or a loss of yards. That's incredible. It's the top rate in the nation. I think nationally the average is 33%. But what's the best offense they've played? Is it West Virginia or Illinois? They haven't faced anything close to Ohio State. So we're really going to get a glimpse into what this defense truly is on Saturday. But at the same time, how good is this Ohio State offense? Because they can't run the ball. I know they've been banged up at running back, and they might still be banged up this week. But even when they've been healthy, they have really struggled to move the ball on the ground. And they're playing kind of one-armed on offense because it's kind of the passing game or bust. And even the passing game has mostly been Marvin's down there somewhere and it's just throw it up to Marvin and see what they could do. So if you're finally facing a defense that can maybe, especially we don't know what Emeka Buka's status is for this week. Ryan Day wouldn't say, so he's still questionable. He might play, he might not. But if he doesn't play, I don't know if Penn State's as good as it defensively as its numbers suggest, but I still think it's really good. And they're able to kind of scheme Harrison out of the game in a way nobody else really has been able to to this point. Like Notre Dame did a very good job, but they also had to account for Ibuka. What does Ohio State do? Are they going to be able to move the ball? On the other end, the Penn State offense is even more ineffective than Ohio State's. Like the numbers are, they're scoring points. But there is no explosive play on this offense. They rank 116th nationally an explosive play rate they're at 9.9 percent they are a dinking and dunking team who also like ohio state cannot run the ball like we thought this was going to be a strength with them with their stable of running backs and a good offensive line but they have mostly been ineffective on the ground like 
I, it's it's a strange position because to this point, Penn State has they are well here I got the numbers right here. The average Penn State drive is six point six one plays, which is the second most in the nation. Which in one hand is good because the offense stays on the field; they don't go three and out a lot. It's just their average touchdown drive is seven point nine one plays because there's no big plays. The national averages for touchdown drives is six point eight four, so they're over more than a play per touchdown drive. Are you going to be able to go four or five yards at a time against this Ohio State defense, especially with the pass rush that they have and the pressure they could put on you? Like Penn State to this point in the passing attack is very quick to get the ball out. They are not having Drew Aller throw down the field. I wrote about that this week too. Like you look at their offense in the passing game, they are bottom of the Big Ten in air yards per attempt, and they are bottom in the Big Ten in average air yards to the sticks or the first down marker. So their their average pass is 2.2 yards behind the first down marker. They're dinking and dunking. They are not throwing down the field. Is that by design because they just want to take care of the football and rely on their defense, or is it because they don't trust Aller, or is it just because they haven't had to? Because, again, the best offense they faced is either West Virginia or Illinois. Take your pick. So there's a whole lot about both of these teams that I'm going to learn about on Saturday that I haven't really had to learn about until this point. So that's the most interesting thing to me about this one is, or not interesting, but the most exciting thing about this game is I think they're both very good teams. I have no idea how good they are, and I have no idea who's going to win this game. Jeez, Tom, what do you want? You're making my skin crawl. What do you want? Just chuck it deep every time? <laughs> We're just talking Japanese out here. <laughs> I think, no, you know what? When he went off on the reporter, I think it's kind of similar to what Ryan Day did with Lou Holtz. Like Lou Holtz just was the face of a lot of worthy criticism of Ohio State. And I think James Franklin, that was the culmination of a lot of questioning of this offense, which is valid because everything you're saying is true. I think a lot of the questions that we've had about these teams from the preseason have been answered to the extremes, right? Like for Ohio State, could the defense take another step? I, mm. I think it has. The, the defensive line, particularly the interior. I mean, Tyleek Williams is really good and will be a problem for Penn State on Saturday. Hall is a really nice player. We knew the edge guys, you know, Sawyer and JTT, are, are pretty good. You know, what Ohio State's corner answers they got from the portal matter? Yeah, they, they, they seem to have. Like, Safety and linebacker? Yeah, I, I guess that's still an open debate. I don't know that they're that they're special there. You know, Penn State, would this defense really be as good as advertised? I, I think it is. Like they're super athletic. They're they really have premium pass rushers. They have really good corners. I think they're crazy athletic at linebacker. And you know, we'll have to see how both offenses handle that. Apologies. Phone's going nuts. Look. I think this game is won with the explosive plays because I don't think either team is going to be able to consistently go on sustained drives. Both these teams are heavy tackle for loss teams. They're heavy pressure teams. They sort of dare you to hit explosive plays uh, if uh, if you can. And Chip asked, like, is the best offense they've faced so far West Virginia? Look, Ohio State is clearly a better offense th- than the Mountaineers. But I don't think Ohio State's offensive line is better than what West Virginia brought into Happy Valley. Mm-hmm. So receiver-wise, it's not close. Like nobody on West Virginia would start on Ohio State. But how like how much, to Tom's point, can the secondary receivers, if Egbuka can't go, how much can they step up? Carnell Tate, you know, five-star freshman. Brandon Ennis, five-star freshman. They, they both got some run uh, in, in that game at Purdue. Cade Stover, the tight end, could be big. I 
I just think it's it's decided on the explosive plays. The, the total has been bet down this morning to 45. <laughs> like the implied here is like, you know, 24-21-ish, 24-20 mm-hmm. type thing. Like, I think that like that total is telling you how the game will play out. A lot of offensive lines losing. We knew this time last year, Ohio State, the way they felt about their backup tackles that were on the team, they knew they would have to go to the transfer portal to get two tackles. Good luck with that. We saw where the best one went. Probably Oregon with a Johnny Cornelius. Michigan got one. Oklahoma got one. Needing two is potentially a fatal flaw for this Buckeyes team. And I I think Penn State has a massive advantage there with their edge rushers over these tackles for the Buckeyes. But Penn State's offensive line is also not taking a step forward. Mm. We sort of needed them to. And we had major questions about Penn State's receivers. That's the other one that's been answered in the extreme. Like Cephas has not been the answer. They just don't have major difference makers there. But I think you're going to get a boatload of one-on-ones, man. And whoever wins the one-on-ones, it's kind of NBA style. A lot, lot of ISO ball here or whoever blows coverages. And both, so far this year, these teams have not blown a lot of coverages. So explosive plays should carry the day. I was uh, I was dialed into that Purdue game because I was really looking forward to Ryan Day telling me how wrong I was, you know, before <laughs> promoing the Fresh Prince of Bel Air spinoff. But I had three names coming out of that. Bud, you just mentioned two of them. Uh, number one, Carnell Tate, just another like, oh, duh, there's there's another player that we talked about on the Cover Three podcast, and I was like, oh, maybe I'll I'll see him in two years. No, you'll see him now. Like he's he was right there, ready to answer the call. Um, as soon as he was out there, he was a difference maker. Number two, Cade Stover. Like that's a player who, if you want to try to find someone who could be uh, very problematic, uh, Penn State dials up a pass rush. All of a sudden, you've got a matchup advantage with a basketball player, power forward, and he's going to be able to go and make that catch for you to extend a drive to get a first down. And then the third one, after the talk was that they might even try to redshirt him. Dallin Hayden goes for 76 and a touchdown on just 11 touches. Now, he's not the answer to why Ohio State can't run the ball, but he is certainly another uh, potential explosive addition. He is somebody else that can be able to be a spark. And so if Penn State's going to do everything it can to neutralize all these things that Ohio State's offense does, I think that last week... Uh, we have started to see like what the counterpunch, what the third, fourth pitch is that they're up there, and uh, and I think that that's a that's a, a reason not to be totally dismal about Ohio State's offensive uh, ability against this. Like you mentioned, Danny, one of the best defenses in the entire country. Even if you put uh, an opponent adjustment in, Penn State's excellence has been uh, really, really impressive so far this year. Manny Diaz is really good. Like he's done a great job at confusing quarterbacks at bringing pressures that catch you a little bit by surprise when I watch Kyle McCord he's definitely coming along but he's still a little bit slow to see and some of the big plays I'm trying to see because it was the Maryland game I was watching and I was in studio and then went back and watched it there were a couple touchdowns he left on the table and like this is the type of game when you get those man-to-mans if you underthrow them or if you're a split second late recognizing it just could be the difference in the game like, you know, a 30-yard completion is good, but a 60-yard touchdown pass is what wins you the game. So it's just something I noticed. And from Drew Aller, we haven't even seen him get those type of plays, like those type of opportunities, and he's going to get them. So at least you've seen those plays from Kyle McCord. So that That's the leap we, we saw Daniels at LSU make this year. He used to be yeah. a guy who turned touchdowns into first downs, mm-hmm. right? Like if you got the touchdowns, you have to throw them and you have to hit them. The other point on this, 
even like the best explosive passing game against a team with a pulse that Penn State has had has been that West Virginia game. And even if you go back and look at how the explosive passes were created, it was a lot of like Drew Aller scramble drill, right? Can Ohio State get him on the ground? He's a pretty big guy. He's pretty athletic and he's got a cannon. So how good is Penn State in scramble drill is probably going to gonna play into this game quite a bit because they don't really have a great like drop back. You hit, your back foot hits that third step, that fifth step, and, and, and the ball is out. It's, it's a lot of sort of, you know, just kind of run around type stuff right now. So we'll see how well he can do that. If if your point about the explosive plays, both Bud and Danny, is going to be the difference in this one, like the 60-yard pass, then I think you have to lean Ohio State's direction because they have shown the ability to do it, whereas Penn State hasn't. And also, like the one thing Ohio State's offense does really well, it doesn't it does it a lot, but it doesn't do it like to a ridiculous amount. Like pre-snap motion, they have been very effective. When you see an Ohio State receiver going in motion, there's usually a big passing play coming because their explosive pass rate when guys are in motion is 24.3%. That is the top in the nation. They use it really well to see that, like McCord, because like you mentioned, Danny, he's sometimes really slow to see what's developing, but when they put him in motion, I think he gets a much better idea of what the defense is doing before the snap. So that way, that first read, he knows really quickly what's going to be there and what isn't. And when that happens, they are very effective throwing down the field. Do y'all think it's going to be as low scoring as the total suggests? I don't know. I think there could be, if it's explosive plays like Bud's talking about, I also think there might be a, a pick six and a scoop and score in there like that. I think that's a concern. Last season's game was bananas. It's like these three games, games in yeah. one. Like these games end up like it, it might be slow for a little bit, but when these games take off, it, it tends to get a little bit loose. You know, these two tend to play kind of back and forth affairs. So we'll see. I'm excited about it. Danny Cannell again will be. Have you uh, have you been to Columbus? I called a couple games there, but not not of this magnitude. You know, I think it was like the noon ESPN two Ohio State versus Northwestern. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, um, non-con. So if you're if you're in if you're in Columbus, uh, you know, I know the big nuts a listener. So you know, go go look out for uh, for Danny and uh, show him a good time uh, around sure. town. All right. Primetime, Tallahassee, homecoming. Oops. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> I didn't, didn't mean to schedule one of our, I don't know, three toughest opponents on the schedule for homecoming. <laughs> but, uh, but that's what you got. Florida State 21, Duke 0. That is the series history here. Blue Devils looking to do something they have not done once, and that is defeat the Florida State Seminoles. Uh, Florida State, of course, coming off an absolute bludgeoning of Syracuse. Uh, Duke just beat NC State with its backup quarterback. And only six pass completions, I believe. I haven't don't have six those of numbers. 18, I think he was. Yeah, six of 14, yeah. six of 18, something yeah. like that. Um, let, Deacon but, Hill. Yeah, Ooh, but, but, well, go ahead. For Belen, yeah, mm-hmm. four of twelve. Oh, oh yeah, I knew, I, was, I knew it was thirty-three percent. Yeah, yeah, it was it, low. It rained I, it was lower bunch. than that. You guys are giving him too much credit. Um, I mean, it, it rained a ton, right? In, yeah, in that one, and one once they once Duke got some turnovers, they they kind of put it into autopilot mode. Uh, turnovers by by NC State, but yeah, it, it is worth noting that half of Duke's yards came on two plays. Yeah. <laughs> They didn't have kind to do of, much. Kind of a weird game. Um, but what what 
where, where do you think this one's going to be decided? What's the most important matchups to get into for Florida State and Duke? Before we get to matchups, bud, can I ask you, because you are always the one that information is key, Riley Leonard, like percent chance he goes, doesn't go? So putting some pieces together, last week uh, Elko said he was day-to-day, and uh, then guy warmed up a little bit, warmed up with a pretty good limp, it looked like, uh, when he was walking around. Last time on the radio show, that, or show he said that he had returned to practice uh, and was throwing it around a little bit. Uh, and that there was a chance that he could play in this game. Uh, Duke has Louisville uh, coming up, and they also have a short rest game at Wake. So this is still, if they don't play him, they still have a chance to have a pretty special season, right? They only have one loss. I listened to Florida State defense coordinator Adam Fuller, and, and he was extremely complimentary of Leonard's legs. And I thought it was notable that that's kind of what he brought up first. Like, like the guy was a legitimate basketball prospect. If he doesn't have the legs, is that smart for Duke to play him? And Elko acknowledged that last night. He's like, look, we, he could get to a point where like he could play, but like, should he play mm-hmm. for both for his health this year and for his health in the future? I, I don't think he's going to play personally. And how does that change? Um, uh- that the outlook for the game. I mean, is that just night night? You don't have Riley Leonard, then you don't even have a chance to to keep this close. It's not how I see the game, but I, I want want to hear what you your take is on this. I mean, look, there there are outcomes in which maybe Duke gets a bunch of turnovers, right? But what what's a reasonable expectation for Duke's backup to score in Tallahassee? Absent a lot of short fields, somewhere between ten and seventeen points. Yeah. Which has been right. fine since Duke's only allowing nine points per game. Yeah, which we'll see if they can sustain that. Uh, a couple things about this matchup I think we should probably discuss. So Graham Barton, who's you know mocked as a big-time tackle prospect for Duke, he, he was hurt for a while, came back. His numbers have not been very good, so I'm wondering if he's trying to gut it out and play through something, and that could be a difficult thing because he plays tackle for them, and that's you know Jared Verse and Pat Payton at night and Doe Campbell. Like that's a, a difficult assignment. I think Duke's extremely well coached, by the way, on both sides of the ball. Like Kevin Johns, their OC, does a great job. He tries to create free opportunities. They they'll mix tempo. They they're like a really veteran group. They can run a lot of different stuff on you and and to try to create those freebies. Um but I I don't I don't know how many points they can reasonably score with a backup in this game. And then I go to the other side. Who's the best receiver Duke's played this year? Uh, Somebody at NC State? No, no, no. That fan base hates their receiver. Somebody on on Notre Dame? No. All those guys were out. Somebody on Clemson? Yeah, I was going to say, I think the answer is game one, Antonio Williams. But, you know, that's, I mean, Miles Jones, Miles Jones and Al Blades Jr. locked him up. Miles Jones, Miles Jones healthy? Oh, you think he's not healthy? I watched that entire uh, entire game, Duke NC State. I would encourage everybody to go watch the the last five minutes of that thing. How about you just tell us? Yeah, why don't you? I think he's. I think. I think he's dinged. He, okay. TV copy cuts off, but he but he tags the helmet as he pulls up a little limp. Kind of, and he mi- he missed what the UConn game and the Notre Dame game. So I don't know. I mean, it, it, it's. Uh, 
I am curious as to if Duke can play the style they want to play against what FSU has on the outside. I don't know. Because right now, they they have not faced that. Like, I, do you think, I mean, do you think they can get to Jordan like, yes. before they can make plays? Yeah. But he's yes. so elusive, though. He can get away from some of that pressure. That's That, to me, is yeah, the key they, to the game. I don't think right? they can hold FSU under 30. Nobody else has. Right. Now, now, this is the I mean, best. You, you scored 30 be at Clemson. Clemson's defense is a lot better than Dukes. Yeah. Clemson had what, 460 yards in Durham? And then they just had uh, a boatload of, of red zone turnovers. Right. Florida State team total over is what Bud's saying. He's disrespecting Mike Elko and the Blue Devils. I, Danny, to your, I, I think that Duke's defensive front against Florida State's offensive line can be problematic. I think yeah. that. Duke is not going to be able to match up with Keon Coleman on the outside, and he's going to have a he's going to rip off a couple of big plays. But I think they are strong enough on the secondary that if that first look isn't there, um, I mean Duke gets out there and does not look out of place in terms of physicality or athleticism, even against teams that we have always considered like you know way more talented, way more athletic. And I think that that sort of uh, approach that they have, especially on the defensive side of the football, I I think that can travel. I think that there is a there's a real the chances of Duke being able to keep this close, take this thing into the fourth quarter, and uh, whether it's a a hobbled or limited Riley Leonard, whether it is Henry Beal in the fourth, all hail the king. Uh, like we will see them be able them be able to have an opportunity if. Duke's defensive front is able to get pressure on Travis, and I I think they can. It's good. Yeah, I think yeah. that they are very, very good, and I think the Florida State's offensive front at times has has gotten a little mixed up. And it's not as good as Clemson or LSU, though, and they've already faced two of those teams, and they scored 45 on LSU and 31 in Death Valley. Like, I think was, that's the point. Like, Yeah. The thing that worries me a little bit is Elko so good. Um, Jordan Travis does have a tendency, and we saw it in LSU where it didn't burn him. He kind of throws the ball up for grabs. Like he's, I don't know if he's trying to throw it away sometimes, or he's just trying to make a play. Is like a pick six, you know, like a just a foolish interception that you know would, you know, all of a sudden you find yourself and maybe you know you just you give them some momentum or you get short fields, those types of plays. Like that's the thing that concerns me. And Elko's defense has shown the ability to do that. Trey Durham has been awesome uh, at them for linebacker. Had a pick last week against NC State. Like. Elko's a legit dude. Like he he'll game plan something to try to confuse him. But I do agree with Bud. Like there's some talent. Johnny Wilson's back. You got massive size advantage. Keon Coleman's been incredible. Now he's starting to get use on special teams. Like I do, I, I do feel pretty good about where Florida State is winning the game. The number, I don't know. Like I'm not, you know, as long as they win, they win. But I don't know. By the way, Jordan Travis. Trying to catch my career touchdown number. Did you see you that? against him? Well, I wouldn't do that. I would never do that. <laughs> but, like, yeah, do you know, do you know they already, they're giving him credit for it. Hold on. Hold on. They have, he has 59. I had 57 officially. Hold on. <laughs> I got to see what this is going to be. Oh, we got. <laughs> do, you guys, do you guys read this? Yeah. What does that say? It says Danny Cannell, Orange Bowl record, four touchdown passes, Florida State. Apparently, they didn't happen because they don't count. <laughs> they, they don't count. So this ball. Oh, that's right, because ball game stats didn't count back it. then. Exactly. So technically, 
he's still trying to catch me. Although in the they officially gave him credit for catching me already in the last broadcast. Fake Not that news. I'm upset or anything. Fake the, news. The guys to watch for Duke, I think, are largely like Carter and Oban are. I think guys who have like a real chance to get drafted. Dwayne Carter. We're talking about the defensive side. Yeah, Dwayne Carter and and, and Oban, whose you know dad was obviously a really good player. My teammate. Duke does have some real players. It's a different challenge for them. Sure. I think based on the schedule they've played. My thing with this game is like I think Florida State's going to win because Riley Leonard's not playing, and to me that is a very serious handicap for Duke, especially because. Defensively, one area Florida State's been routinely exploited is in quarterback scrambling. So you don't have Riley Leonard there, and that is a big deal. But I don't know how healthy Jordan Travis is either. Like, he hasn't been great since the suffering the shoulder injury in the Clemson game. Like, every single week, there's an incredible Keon Coleman catch. And we marvel at the Keon Coleman catch because he's leaping in the air and making crazy one-handed grabs. We're not paying attention to the fact he's being overthrown by 10 feet and jumping up to get it. Like Jordan Travis has been inaccurate lately. And I don't know, like against this defense, like Mike Elko, we've talked about it, is a very good defensive coordinator. He schemes things up really well. He confuses quarterbacks. I'd be more worried about it if Jordan Travis is a freshman, but with as much experience as he has, I don't think he's going to see anything this weekend that he hasn't seen. It's just if he's not 100% healthy and he's inaccurate, this is the kind of defense that will make you pay for all of these things. Plus, they get pressure on opposing quarterbacks, and will he you know, kind of panic? I don't know. I don't think Duke has enough offensively to win this game. I do think they have enough defensively to make things uncomfortable, and if Florida State gets loose with the football, it could become a problem. But the good news is if you're Florida State, you've done a really good job of taking care of the football this year. Turnovers have not been a problem for this Seminoles team. So if it happens, it will be very out of character. You know what's underrated in this game? Because we give Mike Elko a ton of credit. Mike Norvell is a really good play caller, too. Like, Mm -hmm. and and he'll use some misdirection. He loves running the counter. Like, he'll have a way to get rid of the football early, to take some shots. They'll get some shot plays, too. I think FSU's pretty fresh. They've rotated a lot of guys over, like, it was bye week, Vatek, you know, Syracuse. Freshman played a bunch of snaps last two weeks uh, at. I feel pretty good about this. Bud feels good. It's homecoming. I, mean, I, I, Never I, think, lost they'll, I think they'll score 40. What could go wrong? I, but, you know. but wouldn't it be? Wouldn't it? I feel better after your assessment of Riley Leonard. If well, okay, here's the other problem. Yeah. Are you are you more like who should be more worried? FSU's O line against Duke's D line? Or Duke's or, offensive line. Or Duke's or, offensive line, which got wrecked by Notre Dame, now going on the road. Yeah. But wouldn't it be? I I, I I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. Chip, chips wouldn't be hilarious if have been just killing it. <laughs> I, I don't want to. I don't want to. I don't want to cast that on this game right now. Okay. And just maybe tomorrow. Yeah, maybe tomorrow. <laughs> Coming up on the other side, big game breakdown continues with Nick Saban looking for revenge against the Vols. Plus a word on USC, Utah, Clemson, Miami, and maybe a few others. Next. Back here on the Cover Three Podcast. And at 3.30 p.m. Eastern Time in Tuscaloosa, it's the SEC on CBS Game of the Week. Crimson Tide hosting the Vols. What, what's going to be the most important? I mean, te- Tennessee 
first of all, like one of the most important things is like, congratulations. You just got that awesome win against Texas A&M. It was really close. It was kind of an ugly game, but you came out on top. Now you've got to turn right around and you've got to show up uh, to go play Alabama, which also did not play a very good game uh, against Arkansas. Ends up coming out with the win. Uh, shout out to all the, the Nats on cow's asses. Uh, Nick Saban with that good, that good deep country talk right there. Uh, Tom, what's when you start to pick apart Alabama, Tennessee, what, what are the things that stand out the most to you? Um, there's the one key area that I will be focusing on. Surprise, surprise is the quarterback position in this one, because there was a lot of, you know, hemming and hawing about Alabama's QB situation early in the year, but you know who has the second highest passing efficiency in the sec behind Jaden Daniels this season? It's Jalen Milrow because yeah. as Danny has, you know, Danny's been on this for a while, just like literally the James Franklin skin is crawling watching Alabama because they are just having Jalen chuck it deep because that's what he's best at. And frankly, he's much better at it than Tennessee's quarterback, who is the guy that, you know, we were supposed to be like Joe Milton's just bombs all day because he's got the strongest arm in the world. Jalen's not only throwing it downfield more often than Joe Milton is, he's completing it downfield far more often than Joe Milton is. And I think that's going to be a key, but. The problem that comes with that is in order for routes to develop downfield, you need to have time to get there. And you're facing a Tennessee defense that is very good at getting pressure on opposing quarterbacks. And this is an Alabama offensive line that I think has improved in recent weeks, but is still not playing at an elite level. And that is going to be the thing. Can they give Jalen Milrow the time to hit those passes? Because Jalen does take a lot of sacks, and when he gets pressured and he runs around, he escapes, he can extend drives, and that's huge. But if you can keep him in the pocket and get to him, you can knock Alabama off schedule because they really don't have much else. It's shots, 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 shots. And then hopefully if we're effective doing that, our run game will open up in the second half when you have to account for it and kind of give us more space and slow down your pass rush. So – that is going to be the most interesting aspect of this game to me because Tennessee's defense, again, if you haven't paid close attention this year, because I know a lot of fans just kind of watch, you know, they watch their team and they watch the big game. So if you're not a Tennessee fan and you're thinking this is the same team from last year, which was going to score 50 points per game and give up 42 points per game, it's not. The defense is far ahead of the offense with this year's Volunteers team, and that is going to be the one thing. If they knock Alabama off for a second straight season, Ooh. it is going to be because they limited that offense and they got to Jalen Milrow time and time again. Some of these Tennessee offensive performances look worse in successive weeks, right? Only scoring what they did on South Carolina offensively because, again, they had the pick six there. Uh, that looks worse, right, to do that in Knoxville. Only scoring what they did on Florida looks worse after you've seen some teams, Kentucky, South Carolina, move the ball on the Gators. So a lot of reason for skepticism about this offense. I'm fascinated to see what sort of answers Alabama has and what sort of changes they made to the offense compared to what they played last year. They have the benefit of hindsight of seeing Georgia go and, and, and dominate them in Athens after the, the game in Knoxville last year when Tennessee beat the Tide. So I would expect Nick Saban to kind of take a little bit of Kirby Smart's game plan a lot of teams have played Tennessee with a bit of a lighter box this year and dare them to run. AM did that some last week, and, and uh, A&M's like, rush lane discipline was not particularly good. Like They were not super gap sound, and Tennessee actually did run the ball on them pretty well. 
that's my thought is like how good can Tennessee run the football if they get those light box looks. Gerald Mency, the right tackle, went down at the end of that Texas A&M game. Uh, now, head coach Heupel said that he anticipates him being able to play. If he can't, let's flash back a month to the swamp because Mency got a little thing going on, couldn't play in that ballgame, had to play the backup. Florida ate that kid alive. I mean, that that in the center being out, Florida dominated them, and, and Milton had really no chance. So how badly can Alabama smoke Tennessee's offensive line? On the flip side, man, dude, Tennessee's got some real difference makers up front this year too. Alabama has largely been telling Milrow, like, don't put the ball in jeopardy. It's either like swing screens or just total shot plays, to Tom's point. I think Bama's defense is still a different level than what Tennessee has on defense, and you're playing the game, you know, in in Tuscaloosa. So I'm gonna take the tide. At, but man, like these are kind of similar teams, right? Not a lot of sustained passing game. They prefer to run it. The run games have been sort of mixed results. Tennessee had good yardage last week, obviously, but it's a trade-off, right? AM was gonna let them run some, but how many offensive points did they score? Not many. I mean, it was basically you, you had the well, the punt return and, and and the turnover deep in, in AM territory. So I, I, it's, it, I'm, I'm watching the lines, man. I, I think 20, both cover each other pretty well. 26, 20, and 20 to 13. Those are each of their wins against Texas A&M. Yeah, they played the same game. I mean, obviously it wasn't the same game, but you, it's just yeah. like I I don't I don't see anything close to the um, point total that we saw last year in Knoxville. And um, shout out for Nick Saban for the knee slapper of the week, saying that he doesn't see much of a difference between um, Hendon Hooker and Joe Milton. Must I don't know if glasses. that's classic Saban gassing him up. I don't know if that's uh, Saban just talking about, like, schematically some of the formations or the splits, but that, that ain't quarterback performance, that's for sure. Yeah, no, they're they're very different. Hendon Hooker can actually hit his target. Joe Milton might hit his target. That's really the moves in the pocket difference. better, manipulates a defense better. Listen, Cody, you 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 need you don't ask for fat Joe Milton, all right? <laughs> I might need to add. Um, I need to add something else other than lean back, though. Just let y'all know exactly how deep my uh, fat Joe. I was say, this game doesn't feature fat Joe Milton. This game features just regular skinny old Joe Milton. It's it's not the fat version. Yeah. Did Saban make any comments on the difference between Darnell Wright, who was a top ten pick, and Tennessee's other offensive lineman? Because that that's that's a difference this year. Yes, I think it's, a, it's a bigger difference than Hooker to, Hooker to Milton. And I think uh, that uh, Alabama's defense. It. Do you think Alabama's defense is better right now than it was last year against Tennessee? Yes, I think so too. Yes. I mean, they've needed it to be better for their overall team success, but I think that we've got enough of a body of work to say, no, like Alabama's defense isn't just talented players. It's talented players that are executing a good game plan and playing well. Like I I think that Alabama's defense is one of the best in the country, and last year it was a team with a lot of talented players who can make individual plays like Will Anderson or like Dallas Turner, who's obviously still around. But as a unit, I did not think they were as sound as they've been so far this year. This this is a game like on Monday and upon further review, I said that the SEC is just the Big Ten with better defensive lines. 
This game is going to be an example of what I'm talking about because both of these defenses are further along this year than their offenses, and you are going to see that on display in this game. It's Both defenses are going to play well. It's just going to come down to which offense happens to make more big plays. That's really what this will be, and it's not going to be the back-and-forth tennis match that we saw last year. It's probably going to be the winning team might get 30. That's not to say we're going to get like a 17-14 to 14 game, but it is going to be much more – Field position, don't screw up, and then maybe we hit the shot. Because they are, again, both of these teams, offensively, Jalen Milrow, they have to play to it because that's his strength. And Tennessee's entire philosophy is they're going to take shots. And whoever hits them more often or not is going to end up winning. So first one of 30 wins. Possibly, yeah. It might not get to 30. Yeah. I agree. Um, other Again, you can catch that on 3.30 p.m. Eastern time. That is the back end of a doubleheader that starts with Air Force and Navy. If it's Wednesday and you haven't gotten the under yet, come on now. You had your chance. Things been moving. But we'll stand by our principles. They're going to trot us out there on Friday and Saturday, put us on television and CBS Sports HQ. And it, even at the bad number, I'll give that chip line value and still take it. Because I'm a man of principle. By the way, Air Force also quarterback injury. Yikes. Mm-hmm. That matters. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But Larrier is probably the best Air Force quarterback I, I can remember. And I'm sure somebody who watches more Air Force football than, than, than me will, will chime in and say, like, this kid was better. But it, you forgot Tim McDaniels in 1986. <laughs> he looks different. Yeah. Right? And, and there is sort of an element of like when a service academy quarterback goes down, generally, it's a mistake to cut the power rating too much because they're almost always super experienced in the system. Like the kid air force is going to is a senior. Yeah. I mean, right? that was like the initial response in the workroom was like, Hey, doesn't air force play like three quarterbacks anyway? It was like, well, well maybe, but one of them, Larry was different. Like he was yeah. a, a really good quarterback that probably other mountain West teams would like to have as their starting quarterback. Navy's quarterback is also hurt. And I didn't change my rating on them at all. Like, yeah. They're, they're, none of them are, are particularly um, different to me. I, I could be wrong, obviously. Um, yeah, so that's a noon Eastern time on CBS, uh, getting things started. Uh, Amanda Garrett, the GOAT, will be on the call from uh, from Annapolis along with Rich Waltz and Aaron Taylor. And then 3.30 p.m. Eastern time for that Alabama-Tennessee. Um, all right, we got a, a couple more here that I felt like we should uh, hit. Obviously, the Floyd Rosedale, uh, Iowa and Minnesota. You know, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> we can do it. I mean, if if we want it, first to seven wins. <laughs> All right, over under offensive touchdown drives of more than fifty yards. What's what's the over under point five? You said the over under at one and a half. Under under. I have zero. First of all, the most, the thing that I'm the most confident in about, oh my God, we're really going for it. The thing that I'm the most confident in about Iowa, Minnesota is that I do not believe that Minnesota's offense will put together, to your point, a 65 yard touchdown drive or more on Iowa's defense. It will not happen. Like, even if you hit one, a defender fell down. Like, you're not even going to make it to the end zone. They're going to end up holding that to a field goal with stops on the next three plays. So, no, there will not be one. Because then, then I'm asking, is Iowa going to be able to do it against Minnesota's defense? Certainly not without Eric All. When is the last time Minnesota had a decided quarterback advantage with Ethan Kelly McManus? 
do this, they? This will be the first. Yeah, they they do. Come on. <laughs> I, I, know, I, I know. Okay. All right. All right. I, I, was... I will say though, if there's a prop available for will Iowa score a defensive touchdown, not special teams, just defensive touchdown, bet yes. Because what, what would am... you price that as a fair price? Like plus two twenty five. This game minus two hundred for me. <laughs> 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 I, I I'll be the sucker. I'll, I'll I'll give you I'll give you minus two hundred. <laughs> no no no. But like, I'll, I'll bet you even money that I would score on defense. I I think they will. I think all right. From what I've seen line. of Caliak Manis, just yeah. I mean I think I I look at the Michigan game. This is the same kind of defense he'll be facing here. He threw two pick sixes in that game. Just you can bait him into throws pretty easily. And I think Iowa, that's what they do. They bait you into making a throw you should not be making. Well, because you get impatient, mm-hmm. right? Like I, I was just, I was like the house man. It, it, it's it's like playing the computer. Like they're not going <laughs> to do anything silly. Like they they make you play a really, really certain way. But I do wonder if Minnesota has a chance to play that way, right? Just hey, don't put the ball in jeopardy. Can can Minnesota out Iowa? Iowa? Yeah, because but- like. I think I think Minnesota's a better team right now. But I'm I, but I, I don't know if I trust them to go and play that style. In like Penn State was very mature in, in how they played Iowa. I, I will not go and say that I think Minnesota is a better team than Iowa. I think yeah. they have a better offense, but I still think their offense is really bad. And I think Iowa's defense is a couple levels ahead of Minnesota's this year. I don't think Minnesota's defense is nearly as good this season as it has been the last couple of years. And you know what uh, Minnesota does not have? Crap, crap, crap. (laughs) (laughs) Do you think the gapping is bigger between Iowa's defense and Minnesota's defense or between Minnesota's offense and Iowa's offense? Defense. The defense. Really? Okay, interesting. Because I I only have five five offenses rated worse than Minnesota. It's like Kent, Akron, Charlotte, uh, Sam Houston. Then and Iowa, then like I, I yeah. and then yeah. Iowa, yeah. So I don't know, like Minnesota's off or defense is not quite as good as it's been, but it's still like a top half defense in the country. Mm. Yeah, but Iowa's defense is much better awesome. than top half. That is true. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, speaking of Iowa, oh god, that's a transition. Just like Iowa, just wears different colors. The Utah Utes. Man, we were excited about this game, but coming off of USC's whoopsie-daisy game against Notre Dame, that packs a little bit less punch, but in terms of the Pac-12 title race, no change in how important this game is. So, with USC playing host after falling to Utah twice last season, you think Caleb Williams gets back on track against a Utah defense that hasn't really lost too much of a step? From uh, from program standard, yes. Okay. I mean, the thing about last week was Notre Dame was constantly all up in Caleb's grill. Like he did not have any time. Notre Dame has one of the most effective pass rushes in the country as far as pressure rate. Utah ranks 50th nationally in pressure rate. They just they aren't doing as good of a job of getting at the quarterback. So I expect Caleb will have more time this week than he did last week. And I don't like Caleb Williams is not the guy you saw last week. 
He had a terrible game. He's much better than that, though. So I don't think you're going to see a similar performance. And for me in this one, the bigger question is, Can has Utah's offense finally found a defense it can score points against? I mean, how much different is USC's defense than Oregon State's defense? Not too much. Yeah, like Oregon State's defense is better, but it's not insanely better. Mm-hmm. You know, so I, I think about the last time that Utah went on the road with this offense, and it, it did not go very well, mm-hmm. right? They, what they score? Seven points? Seven points in Corvallis, yeah. Look, I maybe they can score what low 20s max like like best case scenario if rising doesn't play are they are they getting more than like 21 24 USC at home almost always is scoring you know in in the 30s mm-hmm. i yeah I, I i could see a situation in which USC doesn't bounce back Lincoln Riley's press conference yesterday was pretty interesting he he's insisting like they're close to something i guess to to being really good to hitting plays it, I think USC probably wins it, but man, like that performance looks so disorganized. They are hard to bet on right now. I mean, if if there's a silver lining, if you're USC, besides the fact that you know last week's loss wasn't a conference loss, it's that you actually haven't really played all that well this year. <laughs> okay, do they have a good game yet? That's what oh. I'm saying. No, so they they have not had a completely like good game to this point. So there is still room to improve. And once it clicks again, you still haven't lost a Pac-12 game. The season True. is not over. Notre Dame had two touchdown drives of 50 yards or more mm-hmm. against USC's defense. 48 to 20 final score, but. You, I, I didn't know what to, I didn't know how to negotiate that. Right. Like, are, are you, tr- are you going to really try to make the argument of, well, actually USC's defense played all right in this game or because they forced field goals on short fields because they did force a, a couple of punts. Or does that say more about Notre Dame in general and sort of where the fighting Irish are offensively? Both. Yeah. Also, the the lead dictated that that Notre Dame never had to really chuck the ball around, mm-hmm. which is the defined weakness of this team. So, obviously, the Irish are not going to be like, "Hey, let's do something dumb that we also don't do well." <laughs> to right? try and let USC back so, into the game. Yeah. Right. So, right. I, I it's hard to say. Um, and USC's, I think USC's run defense has been a good bit better than its pass defense has mm-hmm. been this year. So, um, yeah, Notre Dame didn't really try to me. Um, Ryan in the chat says they just tackled better. So, hey, and look. That's important because they usually don't tackle well at all. Well, yeah. I got to say something smart here. Wait. Notre Dame is running back really good, right? Estimate is is, is hard to tackle legitimately. The receivers you just played for Arizona and for Colorado are considerably more slippery than what you have in South Bend. So – I'm still TBD on their ability to tackle in space. Mm. Yeah. Not that uh-huh. Utah has a lot to scare you there. Oh, and by the way, for the Cam Rising thing, I'm I'm done. I'm just not expecting him back. Like if yeah. if he does come back, that will be a surprise for me. But I am I am basing my pregame uh, you know, preparation as I go into a weekend with the thought that it is going to be Nate Johnson, Bryson Barnes, 
some combination of the two, probably Johnson. And that is Utah is turning the page because rising keeps doing this. Get out there, do some stretches, but Oh, did he stretch this last week? What? Did, did he go through warmups this last weekend? Did he do the, the the deep the deep knee bends? You know, did he? Some, I, I I didn't I didn't pay attention to this year. I, I or this time. I just figured he's done for the year. But that's speculation on my part. Um. Yeah. Well. It is. It's just the way that I have to move forward. And Kyle Whittingham's not going to give us an answer. You know. We'll we'll see if that ever becomes something. He certainly won't do it uh, this week. So you know, the ABC game in prime time for the ACC is Duke and Florida State. I think when they laid the schedule out, they expected that to be the ACC network game because that's where you can find Miami hosting Clemson. Oh, boy. How is that on the... Hey, and listen. And listen. Dabo, he's talking about you need to lose a little, lighten the bandwagon up, and really rallying the troops. Mario Cristobal... Still hasn't defeated an ACC team at home. It wait like this year at all. You know that. (laughs) (laughs) Told you they have negative home field advantage in in, in games that are not the Florida State game. Their fans don't show up. Um, I'm not lying about that. Like the numbers prove it out. They they don't play to the number at home. It is not the best game of the weekend, and it is my ACC poisoned brain. But like I. I am very, I am very dialed in to what happens in this game because the loser is coming out down bad. The winner, yeah, yeah, we can you know spin some things forward about how each team, what the path might look like to get back in that ACC title race. Doesn't look like as much of a runaway after Louisville goes to lose at Pitt, for example. North Carolina, you know, they go to Clemson late in the season. They still have to play Duke, so. Maybe we can talk ourselves into a two-loss, uh, you know, six and two Clemson team backing its way into a rematch with Florida State. Sure, but it requires a win here. A loss for Clemson, night night. Like your your goals are now what? You know, this is going to be one of the lowest win totals that you've had since Dabo Sweeney was on the hot seat, losing in the Continental Tire Bowl to BJ Daniels in South Florida. Like we'll we'll see how things go. Miami, of course, losing here, devastating. What about the matchup? How do these two teams match up against each other? I think it's pretty fascinating, honestly. Like they're in some ways, they are are pretty similar. Um, both are teams that can be pretty he- pretty heavy pressure teams defensively. North Carolina cooked that Miami secondary. Like on the plays in which Miami tried to play coverage and not bring pressure, they played coverage terribly. Like James Williams and Kenshin's got exposed. Now. They did bring pressure pretty effectively on North Carolina, and I would expect Miami will go back to pressuring like crazy because if you look at it, Duke pressured Clemson effectively, and in the second half of that Florida State game, FSU's blitz rate was off the charts. Like They were just just freaking bringing it every single time, and Clemson handled that poorly uh, for that second half. So you have a couple quarters against good competition here where Clemson's offense really struggled against extra men. I would anticipate that Miami leans into like let's just blitz the world type thing, and and see there. Now, uh, Susan Miller Dringen of the Miami Herald uh, reported that she saw uh, Tyler Van Dyke on Monday in a uh, like a full length ace bandage on his leg and wasn't bending uh, the leg the, the right knee at all. Mario Cristobal said that he's not going to comment on injuries, but he's fine. Uh, 
Vegas disagrees, and the line moved from two and a half to three and a half. It's kind of three now. There's some uncertainty, but he does. He's not a mobile guy anyway. So yeah. I don't. I'm not a doctor. Like I don't know. Maybe that's treatment. Maybe that's a clean out. Like if you're not on crutches, I don't think like you'd be walking around with just a big ace bandage on. Um, so anyway, maybe we have some doctors in the chat who could tell us what that most likely is. I've, I've been trying to kind of think about that a lot of this week. Uh, the one thing that I came away from watching Clemson, man, Clemson covers extremely well. Like they're getting Nate Wiggins back this week, the one of the best corners in the country. And I thought that they're, especially Carter in coverage and the safeties, I mean, they had the chalk and they, like Norvell schemed up one-on-ones where normally FSU is going to get these guys deep, like Jaheim Bell and some of the slots. And like Bear Carter, can, he can carry he's you. Carrying like, these wow. yes. Bear Carter made himself a lot of money in, in, in that Clemson-Florida State game uh, mm-hmm. when it comes to the draft because the ability to cover at the NFL level is, is pretty key. So, um, I mean, I think Clemson's defense is pretty for real, honestly. Uh, I just – can Clemson's offense answer? Like, can they score, you know, high 20s, low 30s? In Hard Rock, that's kind of the number I think you because I, I think Miami can get to the low twenties. Mm-hmm. I got to push back on something you said. Only one of two things could have happened: either Miami's secondary got torn apart, or Drake May played awful. And the other day, you told me Drake May was very good in the game because Drake May was seventeen of thirty-three. So if he's going seventeen of thirty-three while tearing that secondary apart. That means he was missing a whole hell of a lot of throws. Like so, how many yards? Which one was for? it? Look, look at like go go on PFF and tease out the snaps in which they brought extra rushers and didn't. When Miami tried to play coverage, they played it really ineffectively, and North Carolina torched them. They did a pretty good job getting pressure on May, and he didn't throw any interceptable balls. Like he, so May played he got well. Rid of it. <laughs> I thought he played saying. well. Yeah. Yeah. Well, then the, the, the secondary didn't get torn apart. The quarterback played well. No, when the secondary tried to play coverage, when they weren't blitzing, they got their they got their lunch ate. That's my think, point. That's why Miami, like... I think Miami's corners are very suspect. I think their safeties are fine. <laughs> their safeties got roasted. I disagree. Okay, much. go watch James Williams and Kenshin's just stand flat-footed, get, get juked out of their shoes, and, and misplay, misplay these covers. Like, I'll, I don't I'll think Kenshin's played poorly. They were bad. Okay. Just disagreement. Um, as far as this matchup, yeah, I just... Like, I don't think... Miami secondary, which I think played fine, will have the same kind of problems against these Clemson receivers. Although, like, the most interesting thing to me is that Clemson's passing attack over the last few weeks has been coming along and getting better, and I do feel like they're getting more comfortable with the system, and Clade Kubnick, Kubnick in particular is getting more comfortable with what he's supposed to be doing on each given play, and I think it'll be interesting to see if that evolution continues in this matchup, because I do think overall defensively Clemson is better than Miami, and I think Miami's defense is pretty good. Offensively, I mean, if Tyler Van Dyke is banged up, it's hard for me to think the Hurricanes are going to have much of a shot in this game because I do think they are a little too dependent on him for their offense, and when he plays well, they're very, very tough to stop. When he doesn't, they're very easy to beat. So it's like if he shows up and he's healthy and he plays well – it's going to be a game. If he's banged up or somebody else is in there, this could be an absolute rout by the Tigers. Is there any truth to the to the chat conspiracy here that Tom is worried that the Bears might draft another North Carolina quarterback? The chat no. is saying. No. Um, you would take Drake May. You just want Caleb. I would take Drake May. I just don't think he's having a great year. 
I think he's very talented. I don't think he's having a fantastic season. Um, Clemson should be getting a little bit healthier. They were off last week, much needed. Uh, that's going to be something to keep an eye on, especially in the wake of Miami getting cooked, um, you know, going on the road after that big Georgia Tech game. And look, Miami showed some fight in that game early, but North Carolina, third quarter, night-night, just put them to bed. So this is a this is a tough little one-two-three run. Clemson coming in a little well-rested. Uh, you may have forgotten. Clemson fans wanted you to forget. They tried to delete it. I won't let you delete it. 17-12 to 12 was the result against Wake Forest. 338 yards of offense, a couple turnovers, you know, really uh, kind of yeah. ruined what little bit of offensive success and consistency that they really had going. So they can clean that up. I, I don't know if it's going to be like, – you talk about the line moving from like two and a half to three and a half. I don't think it's going to be close. Like I, I could see this being Clemson comes out healthier, focused, Miami at the end of this, you know, sort of three-game run that has been really emotional. I – I think the Tigers could put it on them. The it's thing about that weight game is – Sorry, go ahead, Tom. I was going to say, the thing about that weight game is how much of that was we got a buy coming up. Let's just get the hell out of here and beat this dog doo-doo team. Well, yeah, that's why it just turned into, like, let's just – Yeah. 19 carries for Will Shipley. Like, we're just mm-hmm. – like, come on. Let's just – let's get out of here. We got this. Klubnik has had some serious drop picks this year. Like, there's some games that could have flipped the other way if he had not – you know, if, if guys don't drop some pick sixes. So he, I don't think Clemson can blow them out if he keeps playing like they are, assuming Miami comes to play. Like there's some chance Miami just doesn't doesn't play hard, right? Like we've seen them. I don't want to isolate them. So, like I, we already talked, like Southern Miss look like they've quit, right? Is Miami still bought in? I know it's only mid-October. Maybe they are. So Kate, Kate, Kate can keep this closer. Yes, I think so. Because Miami will bring a lot of pressure, and they will force Clemson's receivers to win one on one. All right, any uh, that's a we got yelled at for doing the super secret big game breakdowns. I don't mind who? a little long. Um, I, I just I because I, remember we did the tease at the very very end. I, I like keeping it in there for the audio. We'll do something else for a subscriber only in the future. Any uh, any uh, <laughs> do you like some OnlyFans content for him? You guys want to see us do a show topless? For the right price, as long as it doesn't violate any decency rules, then yeah, sure. If you want to see Topless Cover 3 co-hosts, just come to the show before we start and see Danny every single day. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I I mentioned Oregon-Washington State here. We don't need to dive like super deep into that one. Or is there any other matchup that uh, you want to spotlight? As far as Oregon-Washington State, how does Oregon respond? Like I, I don't. They didn't play poorly last week. They lost. Yeah. So I, from what I've seen of Washington State the last few weeks, I have a sense that Oregon could just completely blow the doors off of them on Saturday. Twenty point spread. Yeah, we we need to see this Washington State health situation. I mean, it, it, they looked extremely good the first couple of weeks of the year, and for all of a sudden them just to be scoring. Seven points. points. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like that's not just that to me is is an injury thing. So I I don't know. Here's the handicap. Oregon's going to score somewhere between 30 and 50. Can Washington State play a game in which Oregon scores 30 and Washington State scores 35 due to a hangover? Like the 
the possible outcomes are like that and like that. And like there's a very small overlap in which, you know, Washington State pulls an upset. But without knowing the health status, it, it, it seems to be West Coast Syracuse. Uh, yeah, actually, that's uh, pa- Patrick in the chat said uh, Washington State's like West Coast Syracuse. Kind of. Yeah. Like if you're out of dudes, you're out of dudes. Yeah. And at Washington State, like Syracuse, it is devastating. When you start getting hit with the injury bug in the wrong places on the depth chart, like you don't have, there are other programs that can trot out somebody who might be playing too early, but they are playable, right? Yeah. You know, it's like, oh well, he's gonna we're gonna throw him into the fire. Like you're you're playing a body that you were just looking at to be there for practice in some of those situations. I got a sneaky one for you. All right. UTS UTSA goes to Boca to play FAU. I don't think that either of these teams will make the American Conference Championship game, but this is basically the race to finish somewhere between like third to fifth ish. Uh, if if SMU were to stumble down the stretch, obviously Tulane got the huge tiebreaker game at Memphis mm-hmm. last week, but like this is a pretty important game. If the loser of this game is not completely eliminated from playing for the conference title game, obviously because you'd only have one conference loss, but it it makes it a major uphill climb due to the the tiebreakers in, in the remaining schedule. Oh, Boston College Georgia Tech has the eligible. I think if you lose this one, you can't go bowling, right? Basically. Uh, let's see. So right now, um, Boston College is three and three overall, right? Yeah, yeah. Boston College is three and three overall, and right now Georgia Tech is. Three and three overall. They both just need it. Like the path. Because that's the thing is Georgia Tech got life with the Miami win. You lost it when you let Bowling Green steal all your defensive signals, allegedly. And then... <laughs> I'm not even alleging that. I'm just guessing. Like, that, that just seems so weird that, that Bowling Green gets shut out in the MAC and they're, they're dropping 38 on uh, on the Yellow Jackets. And, and that Brent Key doubles right back with like a U... That was odd that, that they had a change right after. You that. are no longer doing the signals into the linebacker to go get everything lined up. Sorry, this is this is not not acceptable. So yeah, the Georgia Tech lost the path to bowl eligibility with the Bowling Green game, gained it back with Miami. Boston College has been about on schedule. Like Northern Illinois throws you off schedule a little bit, but if if we had shown you the first six games. Three and three was about what you were guessing. Like you might have had a loss to Army that ended up being a win. Maybe you thought Virginia was going to be a little bit more of a toss up. I mean, they just uh, if if Boston College wins, it'll be by three points because that's all Boston College does to win games is they win game games by three points. Georgia Tech run D is legitimately bad, like bottom twenty in the country bad. So, like, how much can Castellanos run around for BC, and then can he hit some explosive plays out of the pass game? Uh, by the way. BC secondary is also not very good this year at all. So Georgia Tech does like to chuck it around quite a bit. Tempo on the one side, anti-tempo on the other. It's kind of fun. Over is, under uh, is 58 if you want to take the tempo, anti-tempo, over or under. Have you – is Wake Pitt ineligible? Well, Pitt is uh, – They've got five. I thought Pitt had five losses already. Or no, they have four. They're two and four overall. I mean, that that seems like a knockout game to me. I hate to break up the bottom of the ACC love fest here. (laughs) But I think Pitt's done. 
<laughs> okay, go ahead. Uh, just a- another big game this weekend that probably deserved its own breakdown, but you know we are we're, we're P five homers. Can a thundering herd stop a wagon Thursday night in Huntington? Marshall and James Madison. It's a sneaky low spread, three and a mm-hmm. half. Makes you wonder. Jamie's played some close games this year. It's kind of their style. Style, yeah. Last uh, year, Marshall poured it on him. This is the this is the game that Jamie's quarterback missed last year, mm-hmm. and the backup was just kind of unplayable. I think. I mean, I'm, I'm going to have a lock for this one tomorrow, but I, I think this could be a pretty fun game. Definitely the, the best game that the best American football game that will be played on Thursday anywhere. A hundred percent. One hundred percent. You don't want to watch Rice Tulsa? Oh, is there a big NFL game? Jacksonville and Donald New Orleans. Oh, who cares? It's going to be a garbage game. No, I saw the standings. Those are two first place teams, I think, right? In those divisions. Excellent college or excellent NFL divisions. Mm-hmm. Uh, another another thing, not a breakdown, but just something to keep an eye on. Michigan State's on quit watch. Yeah. You blow a 21 point lead in the fourth quarter against Rutgers, and you haven't won a game since. Mel Tucker got fired. Like, if Michigan comes in and absolutely blows the doors off of you the same way they've been doing it to everybody else, I think you could see a winless Michigan State team in the Big Ten this year. Mm. Thursday. Oh, yeah. Um, Twitter asked a couple guys on Twitter asked me. I meant to say I'm confident that you can score 30, not 40. I guess I, I misspoke and said 40 uh, <laughs> at, at the very end of that that segment. So. Yeah, thirty points. Yeah, yeah, and, and not, then and then the question, like they can score forty, but I don't, like I'm not saying they they definitely will score forty. Within within the question being, can Duke get there? Correct. Yeah. All right. Sorry about that. I, I looked. I checked my meds. Like, oh shoot, did I say forty? Okay. We will be back Thursday, eleven a.m. Eastern time. It's the best time of the week as we roll out our week eight locks and you can follow him on twitter at bud elliott three you can follow him at tom Fernell. you can follow me at chip underscore patterson gentlemen thank you very much thank you